It's the beginning of a new year, and we jump into Romans 5. If you would, come with me to the book of Romans, in chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. We've been in Genesis for most of the fall, looking at Isaac and particularly Jacob. And now much of this year, we will be back in the book of Romans, looking at Romans 5, Romans 6, Romans 7. And we will return and finish the book of Genesis with a study of Joseph at the end of the year. Of course, all of that is Lord willing. Jesus could come back tomorrow and we'd say, Amen. But Romans chapter 5. We're going to be looking only at verse 1 this morning, but we're going to read the first five verses. Romans 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Well, you've experienced it, you know it's true. In one moment, our lives can change. Maybe it's a choice. You can go to this college or this college or, or not go to college at all. And the decision you make will affect the rest of your life. The decision will shape your future. Should you keep the job you have or take another job that it's in another city, that decision will radically impact the rest of your life, whether for good or for ill. Consider marriage. When someone is married, that is a moment that changes their lives forever. You, you used to be a completely independent person. Now you're a, a part of a pair. Your heart and your thoughts and your actions are tied to your spouse till death do you part. For better or worse, your life has changed. Many of you have known that moment when you hold your baby for the first time. And it dawns upon you that you will never be the same. Well, these opening verses of Romans 5 are all about helping us understand how that one moment when we first believed on Christ changed everything. This passage is about those things that are true of us that moment we believe on Christ. When, when a new believer trusts Jesus, he does not fully understand everything that is happening in that moment. There is a radical change that takes place both in us and in our position before God. Indeed, we will spend all eternity coming to grips with all of the glories of what happened in that one moment when saving faith first blooms in our souls. Here, in verse 1 of chapter 5, we see before us one of the wonderful effects 
that became true of us when we believed. This is an effect that became true of us the moment we first believed, and it is an effect that is true of us from that day to forever. And here it is. We have peace with God. Do you see the word therefore there at the beginning of the verse? You've probably heard this saying that when you see the word therefore in a scripture, you should look and see what it's there for because it's always connecting you to something that's already been said. In this case, Paul is speaking, has been speaking for half of chapter 3 and for all of chapter 4 about how a person, how a sinner can be made right with God. And being made right with God is called justification. And the way that Paul has been arguing for a chapter and a half that justification happens, that sinners are made right with God, is faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now he's writing to fellow believers in Rome. He's writing to people who, like himself, have believed on Christ and experienced this justification. So in this context, in light of what he has just said about the way of salvation through justification by faith, he now declares that these Christians have peace with God through their Lord Jesus Christ. We could talk a little grammar for a moment. In our English translation, this is a uh, complex sentence with a dependent clause. Since we have been justified by faith, can't stand on its own. Usually the main point of a verse is going to be in the independent clause, the part that can stand on its own. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The subject is we, Christians, believers. And the main truth is that we have peace with God. Not Christians may have peace with God. Not Christians can have peace with God. Not that Christians will have peace with God. The truth set before us here is that Christians have peace with God. Now, here is the outline for unpacking this doctrine. I want to make three points. I think they're all very clear in this first verse. Number one, this peace with God is a wondrous thing. This peace with God is a wondrous thing. We'll spend most of our time there. Second point will be that this peace with God is through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way to have it. And then the last point will be that this peace is ours on the basis of justification by faith. Let's jump in. Number one, this peace with God is a wondrous thing. And I say that because Paul lists it first. He's going to mention some other benefits. He's going to mention some other things that are true of us the moment we first believe in Christ. But this is the first one that he mentions. This is at the top of his list. But why? Why is peace with God such a special thing? I have five reasons for you. Number one, this peace with God is a wondrous thing. Because it is a genuine peace. It is a genuine peace. The peace we have in Jesus Christ is not merely a feeling of peace. 
It is not merely the prospect of peace. It is the real thing. It is actual peace with God. We are surrounded by people who have a counterfeit peace. There are people who we live among every day who have a false sense of peace in their souls concerning God. One man has lived a decent life. He's not committed any major crimes. He's never murdered anybody. He tries to tell the truth and he tries to pay his bills on time and he tries to treat others the way he himself wants to be treated. He does not have any sort of relationship with Christ, but compared to others, he's a fine fella. And he knows he's a fine fella. And therefore, there's a, there's a sense of peace in his heart. Surely he's okay with God. It's a counterfeit peace. Maybe there's a lady who has fallen into false doctrine. Maybe she attends one of those churches where she's been taught that ultimately everybody goes to heaven. Or maybe she's even become convinced of atheism and and doesn't believe that there's a God at all. And by being persuaded of these things, she no longer worries about the possibility of not being right with God. She has a sense of peace in her heart that she is fine. But that peace is built on a faulty foundation. It's not legit. It's not the real thing. There's a man who made a decision for Jesus at an evangelistic rally, walked the aisle, asked Jesus to come into his heart, prayed a prayer, maybe even cried a bit. But he hasn't been following Christ. Christ doesn't have his heart. Jesus doesn't affect the way he treats his family or spends his money or acts at work. He was promised at that rally that the decision he made secured his peace with God forever. And he still looks back on that day with sentimental feelings about what he did. He's not worried about his future with God. He has peace. But it's not the real thing. It's not the genuine article. Maybe there's a lady who feels very secure in her heart that she's fine with God because of how much she knows She's been going to church since she was a little girl. She can quote the Scriptures forward and backward. She's an ace at theology. She can talk to you about the ins and outs of soteriology and ecclesiology and eschatology and every other ology you can think of in the Christian world. She knows so much, she can come to the preacher after the service and say, oh preacher, you missed it on that one. Oh, you got that out of context. Oh, you didn't balance that doctrine. There's no one like that in here, thankfully. So don't think there is. But maybe there's someone like that, right? And she thinks that because of how much she knows, she must be right with God. Friends, none of these are real peace. Satan has said to these folks, peace, peace, when there is no peace. They are walking a path to hell, and they are walking it without fear. True peace is not, first of all, established in our hearts. True peace is first of all established in the courts of heaven. Real peace with God includes the full removal of God's anger toward us. Real peace includes us being made the objects of His love and His blessing. Our crimes having been paid for. God's anger having been spent on Christ in our place. 
Christ's righteousness being accounted to us. These are the basis of real peace. Peace with God must first be a heavenly reality before it can be an true experiential reality. If God has not declared that He is at peace with you, then your feelings of peace are misguided and deceptive. This genuine, heavenly, God-declared kind of peace is only found through faith in Jesus Christ. If He is ours and we are His, then He stands this moment before His Father as our peace. He is our peace with God. He has made it so that God declares us reconciled to Him. Second, this kind of peace is an immutable peace. I'm sorry, that's not second. That's still near the same point. 1B. This kind of peace is an immutable peace. It does not vary with the weather. Feelings of peace can shift, can't they? Feelings of peace with God can can change. But the peace with God that is declared in the courts of heaven on the basis of Jesus Christ is an immutable, unchangeable peace. It does not vary with your feelings. It is not as though you have peace when you're doing well and you lose peace with God when you're not doing well. The peace that we have through Christ is permanent. Whether 2012 is great for you or hard for you. If this peace was dependent on you and me, if it was our actions that secured peace with God, then our peace would be as secure as an unanchored boat in a hurricane, which is to say not secure at all. But this peace is not dependent upon you or me. It's dependent upon the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And that's permanent. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And therefore, the peace that we have with God through Him is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Christian, if you are believing in Jesus, you are at peace with God. And He is at peace with you. Forever. You can dance now. You can rejoice. Second, This peace with God is wondrous because it is peace with God. He is the creator and the ruler of all things. He holds us in His hands. He has every right to do with us as He pleases. Our eternal happiness or our eternal despair is in His hands. What will come of you, what you will experience, is determined by Him. He knows you through and through. He knows every cell in your body. He is intimately familiar with the depths of your soul. He knows your every longing. He knows your every thought. He knows the very worst of your sins. He knows better than you do the twisted and wicked desires that are hiding in the recesses of your heart. He knows whether you truly desire Him and delight in Him or whether you prefer other things instead. Why is peace with God so precious? Because God is the one who is all-wise and can lead us to eternal joy. 
He is the fountain of all joy. You don't want to be at war with the One who has in Himself everything your soul most desperately needs. Peace with God is precious because God is precious and knowing Him is precious and belonging to Him is the greatest reality any person in this world can ever know. Is peace with God. Third, this peace with God is wondrous because of the consequences that would be ours if we did not have it. This peace with God is wondrous because of the consequences that would be ours if we did not have it. Surely this describes some of you in this room. There are certainly some here who do not have peace with God. You are still at enmity with Him. And these consequences will be yours. And they would have been mine too. Were it not but for the grace of God. Think about the consequences in this life of not having peace with God. Every day, those who do not have this peace live with God's wrath hanging over them. If they're not aware of this, then they are sadly living in a state of deception. If they are aware of this, then they live in a state of fear. Neither way is a way to live. Those who do not have peace with God cannot lay hold of His promises. Christ is not a help for them in times of trouble. Christ is not working all for their good. Day after day, they continue adding sin upon sin upon sin to their record for which they will have to give an account and pay for in the end. God's wisdom is available to them, but they don't want it. They follow their own wisdom and they come into all sorts of misery and heartache because of this. The greatest joy they know is a sorry joy. The joy of worldly things. The joy of the pleasures that this earth can offer. Those who do not have peace with God have never tasted the greater delight of knowing Him. They are enslaved in sin. This is the case of those who do not have peace with God. And that's just in this life. Then there's the consequences of those who do not have peace with God in the next life. And this is where we ought to tremble. Psalm 68, 1-2 God shall arise. His enemies shall be scattered. Those who hate Him shall flee before Him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. Right now, it is the merciful patience of God that holds back His righteous wrath from breaking out against His enemies. But God's patience towards the wicked is not infinite. Infinite patience with wicked people is wicked itself. No, God's patience with wickedness is not infinite. God's patience will come to an end. And those who are not at peace with Him, but have continued to live in rebellion against Him, will find themselves with no hope. Jesus said that God's enemies will be cast into outer darkness. He described it as a furnace of fire, a place with weeping and gnashing of teeth. God's patience is a dam which holds back His wrath, but the dam will be brought down and the wrath will come. And it will come when Christ returns, which could be any moment. Refusing to make peace with this God is foolish. 
Refusing to make peace with this God is foolish. The consequences are more terrible than you can imagine. But fourth, this peace with God is wondrous because of the incredible obstacles that were overcome in order for us to have it. This peace with God is wondrous because of the incredible obstacles that were overcome in order for you and me to have it as Christians. There was the obstacle of our sin and God's holiness. And this was not a small problem. How can God be holy and yet treat criminals like they're His children? How can He lavish them with an ocean of blessing when they are sinners? What would we say of a ruler or a judge who made peace with a criminal, refusing to punish him for his crime? Throughout the Bible, judges who did not judge fairly were condemned by God. How can God treat sinners like us with love and blessing and still be a holy God? This obstacle was so momentous that it took the death of Christ on the cross to overcome it. Isn't that what Romans 3.26 was all about? Remember that? The Mount Everest of the Bible when we were there? Romans 3.26, Christ had to come to bear the punishment in our place so that God could be holy and still save sinners, so that He could be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Here is the great cost of our peace with God. The very humiliation and suffering and death of God Himself. God died that we would have peace with Him. God permitted His Son to become one of us, a frail human being, so that he would experience the suffering and the hell that his people deserved in their place. Our peace with God was purchased by the blood of Jesus. Every drop of his blood worth more than everything in this universe combined, and yet he shed it that we would be reconciled to God. He made peace by the blood of his cross. And yet even that isn't the end of the story. That alone was not the only obstacle because there's still the obstacle of our own enmity against God. Do you see verse 10? We're going to get to verse 10 in a few weeks. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. It isn't just that we were sinners and God is holy and we had to find a way for God to be just and the justifier, but now that Christ provided a way of salvation, we don't want it. Christ extends the gift. I've made the way. Come. No one comes. We saw that in the beginning of Romans 3, didn't we? None that do good. No, not one. John 6, no one can come to the Father unless the Father draws him. Why? Because our hearts are in enmity with God. We don't want to be with God in our flesh. And so there was another obstacle to be overcome. And how was it overcome? It was overcome by Christ sending His Spirit to change us, 
Jesus overcomes this obstacle by sending His Spirit to change our hearts, causing us to be born again, causing us to see with different eyes. We come to God and believe on Jesus only because Christ has first done a work in our hearts, removing our enmity and placing a desire for God there instead. We were dead to God. Christ makes us alive. Our hearts were like hearts of stone towards God. But just as Ezekiel promised, Christ gives us a heart of flesh, a heart of tenderness, a heart that is sensitive to the calls of God so that we respond with faith. Friends, there were great, momentous, monumentous obstacles in the way of you having peace with God. And God has overcome every single one of them. To Him be the glory. Finally, number five. If these were not enough reasons for you to see why peace with God is so wondrous, I'll just mention this. There are so many other blessings that become ours because of this blessing. Peace with God opens the door to a million other blessings. It is when we have peace with God in the courts of heaven that we receive a loving relationship with Him, which is the best thing ever. It is because we have peace with God in the courts of heaven that we can have peace in our hearts concerning our future concerning our security and our safety. It is because of the peace with God in the courts of heaven that we have God's Spirit dwelling in us, causing us to be one with Him. The gift of Christ's character being born within us. The promise of the glory to come. A basis for hope in the midst of difficult, difficult trials. Grounds for unspeakable joy. All of this rests on the peace that we have with God. Through Jesus Christ. So, having said something about how wondrous this peace is, let's quickly note, number two, that it comes through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Notice the names used here. Our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Start at the end. Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah. The one promised from the beginning of our Bibles, Genesis 3.15. The one who would set right everything that went wrong in the fall. Adam was disobedient and brought the curse. Christ came to be obedient even to the point of death, to reverse the curse and to bring blessing to all that he represented in his life and death. Peace with God is ours only because Christ came as our Messiah. Jesus came as our Christ, our anointed one who lived perfectly for 33 years, accomplishing the righteousness that is now accounted to us when we believe. The moment we believe, we're dressed in the righteousness of Jesus. God loves righteousness. Righteousness describes God. God loves righteousness. God cannot be at war with righteousness. When God sees righteousness, He has peace. And we are dressed in the righteousness of Christ. It was also through Christ's substitutionary death that He secured this peace. This is why He's called not only Christ, but Jesus. Remember what Jesus means? Savior. He's the one who laid down His life to save His people. 
He bore the wrath of God that His people deserved in their place on the cross. Thus, not only are we who believe dressed in the righteousness of Christ, but our sins have been removed from us as far as the east is from the west. And not just our past sins, and not just our present sins, but our future sins. So that when God looks at us, He sees righteousness and righteousness and only righteousness. And therefore, He does not respond with wrath. He does not respond with enmity. He does not respond with war. He responds with love. Of course, everything that our Jesus Christ did for us would not matter if it wasn't applied to us. If I'm sick over here and the medicine's over here, but the medicine doesn't make it to me, the medicine doesn't help. Everything that Jesus accomplished as Jesus, the Savior, as Christ, the Messiah, would mean nothing if He was not Lord. Because it's in His position as Lord all authority in heaven and on earth given to Him that He sends His Spirit to take His saving work and to apply it to our own souls so that we respond in faith and are united to Him and the courts of heaven rejoice as we are reconciled to God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our peace. There is no other way. Islam has no system like this that makes sense. Jesus is our peace. Finally, notice that this peace with God is ours on the basis of justification by faith. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the way of salvation. This is how the peace provided in Jesus Christ becomes ours. Heaven and hell, everything depends on this. At the heart of the gospel, at the heart of Christianity, is justification by faith. Listen to J.I. Packer. I'm going to read this slowly so you can catch every word. J.I. Packer says, The doctrine of justification by faith is like Atlas. It bears a world on its shoulders. The entire evangelical knowledge of saving grace. The doctrines of election, of effectual calling, regeneration, repentance, adoption, of prayer, of the church, of ministry, of the sacraments. All of these must be interpreted and understood in the light of this justification by faith. The Bible teaches that God elected men in eternity in order that in due time, they would be justified by faith. He renews their hearts under the Word. That's what's happening right now. And draws them to Christ by effectual calling in order that He might justify them by faith. Their adoption as God's sons is a consequence of their justification. Indeed, it is no more than the positive aspect of God's justifying declaration. The practice of prayer, of daily repentance, of good works, the whole life of faith springs from the knowledge of God's justifying grace. The church is to be thought of as the congregation of the faithful, the fellowship of justified sinners. A right view of these things is not possible without a right understanding of justification. When justification falls, all true knowledge of the grace of God in human life falls with it. And as Luther said, the church itself falls. That's how important this doctrine is. 
Is there anyone here this morning that does not have peace with God in the courts of heaven? And do you want it? Do you desire to be reconciled to God? Do you desire to have God as your heavenly Father, not as your heavenly enemy? You can. A way has been provided through Christ. But you must submit to Him. You must entrust yourself to Him. You must believe on Him. Justification by faith, being made right with God by believing on Jesus Christ is the only way to God. Listen to how it happened for John Bunyan. John Bunyan, you know John Bunyan, notoriously wicked man, a man known all around his county for his wickedness. When he got married, his wife brought with her a couple of godly books and Bunyan picked them up and began to read them. And they began to affect him. And so he decided one day he would begin attending church and listening to preaching. His conscience was full of fear, full of agony, because he knew how wicked he had been for his whole life. And he knew that God was too holy to make peace with a sinner like him. Listen to how he was justified. He says, one day as I was passing in the field... And that too with some dashes on my conscience, fearing that all was not right. Suddenly this sentence fell upon my soul. This sentence came to his mind. Thy righteousness is in heaven. And I thought I saw with the eyes of my soul, Jesus Christ at God's right hand. There I say was my righteousness So that wherever I was, or whatever I was doing, God could not say of me, He lacks my righteousness, for that righteousness was just before Him. I also saw, moreover, that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor my bad frame of heart that made my righteousness worse. For Christ was my righteousness, Himself the same yesterday, today, and forever. There it is. We are made right with God. We have peace with God, not by our works, not by how we feel, but in Jesus Christ alone as we rest in Him. One last quote, and we're done, but I love this one. This is from Bunyan as well. This is great. I remember that one day, as I was traveling into the country and musing on the wickedness and the blasphemy of my own heart, considering the enmity that was in me towards God, Towards the scriptures, it came into my mind this verse. He has made peace by the blood of his cross, by which I was made to see both again and again that day that God and my soul were friends by his blood. Yea, I saw that the justice of God and my sinful soul could embrace and kiss each other through this blood. This was a good day to me. I hope I shall never forget it. (laughs) Do you remember what it was like the first time these things first became clear for you? This morning, I had a word for Christians. Brothers and sisters, you are at peace with God. Through Jesus Christ. You are. Don't doubt it. Don't deny it. If you're trusting in Christ, it is true. And I had a word for unbelievers. You too 
can be made right with God. You too can have peace with him in the courts of heaven. All that is required is that you turn to Jesus and rest in him. Place your trust in him. Let's pray. And so now I would call us all simply to think about what we've heard. To reflect on Romans 5 verse 1 and what it is teaching us. And to now spend a few moments speaking with our Father. Unbeliever, 